Good morning, my people. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Evan Yvonne of www.storytellerstudiosplus.com and Generation Create Podcast. Today is um, a pretty interesting morning because I didn't, I woke up not really knowing what I wanted to record this morning. Usually I'm thinking about it like for days and then I get in my heart like, oh no, that's the direction I want to go in. And this topic, I had originally wanted to do it last week, I think, and I just didn't do enough research in that time uh, to really feel comfortable. I could have just given my personal experience and I think that would have been enough, but I think that um, now I have, I had to come into a place (laughs) of um, empathy, compassion, And I really wanted to make sure that what I want to say today is said in love, Um, because that's what's most important. Because love doesn't necessarily mean that it won't strike a chord with people, um, but it does mean that it's coming out of the heart of the Father versus you know, just my opinion. And I think that that's where so much pain and hurt comes from when we're dealing with um, spiritual things, you know, touchy subjects. So today we're talking about religious trauma syndrome. And I promise you, I'm not usually thinking about this kind of stuff because um, I think that that's kind of like, I want to say, don't, don't be offended if I say it, like the white term, white people term, religious trauma syndrome, because black people call it church hurt. <laughs> and, you know, we're so familiar with that subject of um, church hurt. So um, since we're kind of familiar with like church hurt and that just spans so fast, so wide, I'm not even, um, I don't even feel like I need to uh, try to break that down, but I am going to break down, so I'm going to spend this first amount of time just really breaking down these topics and um, what I... um, put together as far as like what am I addressing so what led me to this topic first the other day I saw on Facebook this uh, event that's being promoted by this church I don't know where the church was I think it was in North Carolina or South Carolina and it's called drag me to church and people were you know commenting and stuff on that and I'm not going to go into my personal views on that because I think that what I'm going to talk about today pretty much covers it because you know God showed me right out what it was when it came to me you know trying to get into this category (laughs) he um pulled me out real quick um so drag me to church was one thing that led me to this topic another reason was reading journal journal articles that highlight different experiences with uh, religious trauma syndrome and therapists not knowing how to truly address what is coming out of the church, you know, these people are going to therapies, therapists now, and you know, really uh, displaying these uh, PTS syndromes. 
and they're not sure what to do about it because the church is such a big entity. So, you know, like I, I get that. I understand, you know, like why this is a big thing. I don't want to dismiss people's experiences at all uh, because whether they are or are not real, they're real for the person. And, um, and, that, and that's fine, you know, like we don't have to be afraid to address these kinds of things because um, the, the Bible says that, you know, Jesus overcame the, wor- the world, you know, like he has overcome everything that we would ever experience. So we don't have to be like, oh my God, like you know, I think that fear comes on our end as a church when we don't properly understand something. And so understanding is to me is about listening. And listening to me has a lot to do with, you know, being quiet before the Lord, but also um, taking the initiative to research um, because whether or not I think it's wrong or right, I need to understand from both ends. Um, this is what we have to do as a church. We, we, are, we are the church. <laughs> so we can afford to, on both ends, understand both sides of the issue. And then... Um, you know, filter that through scripture. And that might take um, a day, but it might also take 10 years, you know, for you to get to the point where you can do this in love. Um, And so that was the second thing. The third thing was, I I didn't see this uh, Netflix documentary, but I think I might watch it. I might not need to though. Like the Lord might not lead me to that. So it's called Pray Away. And it's about gay conversion therapy which I found to be really okay. Um, like that was, that's, that was, that's a huge one for me. And then my own experience, um, you know, when I was pretty much dealing with what I considered church hurt, um, and God had a simple response for it. Um, and it was called inordinate affections. And, to be honest with you, this is where I think um, there there's a simple explanation for all of this stuff. And I know that people probably be like, no, no, this isn't all summed up in inordinate affections. And I say, yes, it is. All of it is summed up in under, truly understanding inordinate affections. And I'm going to show you how. Okay. So I'm going to really uh, read the religious trauma syndrome um, definition that I got from, you know, people who have studied this and this is what they've come up with. You know, this is one source and I will list my sources and uh, links on my website and all that kind of stuff. So religious trauma syndrome is not an actual diagnosis and it's not included in the most recent version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. However, This does not mean that it is non-existent or doesn't impact millions of individuals every year. Religion can easily be weaponized and saying that and sayings can be twisted to fit the agenda of the messenger. All of this is right. (laughs) Shame, guilt, and condemnation can be among many of the harmful messages communicated which can lead to lasting and deep mental health wounds and damage to the psyche. Often, RTS occurs when one is surrounded by a strong community of like-minded individuals who see their religious path as the only way and identify those not in the religion to be bad and misguided. 
There is a deliberate and intentional effort to be disconnected and set apart from the mainstream society and traditions. For some, this can include observing holidays, uh, going to places like movie theaters or dressing modestly. For others, this can include living in moral rural areas, avoiding the appearance of perception of evil or attending religious gatherings frequently. Religious trauma can stem from spiritual abuse and can impact individuals differently and can have a devastating effect on one's self-esteem, sense of self-worth, and identity. Religion can impact the way that we see the world and it can be easily, sorry, it can be easy to deny the existence of problems in the face of continual optimism and faith at a higher power will fix any challenge encountered. But this toxic positivity can lead to lasting harm. Religious trauma can lead to an individual believing that they are inherently bad or condemned, especially if they're experiencing purity culture, even after they have left the religion and their previously held beliefs. Okay, so that little snippet is from um, a journal article that I read called, um, it's um, choosingtherapy.com. And again, that link is on the list. So I'm noting all of these things first of all, from that, and all of it is very external. And um, so churches, church people, leaders, whatever, if you are so um, worried about external things, um, external ways of living, um, and what it shows, you're severely on the wrong track. And I'll tell you why later on. Well, it's probably obvious to you right now. All of these things are external. All of these things that they're saying. Now, I also have a clip from the president of the Global Center for Religious Research, which which is explaining why clinicians are shying away from using um, for the use of syndrome, um, as far as like religious trauma syndrome. They don't want to use the term syndrome because it's an outdated label that could actually be more detrimental than helpful. Um, When originally coined, this so-called syndrome was part of a larger cultural fascination to pathologize everything without sufficient clinical or psychological justification. But religious trauma occurs on an individualized spectrum and does not consistently present with the same cluster of symptoms as, as is required of actual syndrome diagnosis. Um, the label syndrome limits religious trauma by manufacturing arbitrary parameters on people's lives, lived experiences, thereby excluding them from treatment options or alienating them with feelings of being diseased or abnormal. Okay, so that's that. Now I just want to give you that background because so that you would understand where what, why I'm linking it and how I'm linking it to my experience and God showing me that it was really inordinate in affections. So now let's talk about Pray Away, which is the Netflix documentary. And this is just like a review that I found and I thought it was uh, pretty neutral, so I'm gonna use it. So this Pray Away documentary <clears throat> review says, a crucial voice in Pray Away is that of Julie Rogers who was a teenager when she started working with Living Hope, an affiliate ministry of Exodus International. Now, Exodus International is the group that basically 
created this whole pray pray away being gay you know conversion therapy thing she grew up in a conversion conservative christian family that was heavily involved in the church when she was 16 she came out as gay to her mother who became frantic and eventually got her daughter a meeting with rick chillett the executive director of living hope Gillette promised Rogers' family that he would heal her. That's number one. Your biggest mistake is that you went to a man, a person, in part by identifying something in her past, sexual abuse, strained relationships with a parent that gayness could be blamed on. Rogers eventually became so involved with Living Hope that she would move into a live-in recovery house and rise to become one of its most popular speakers, traveling the country to preach about her journey and endorse the organization. My whole entire life was structured around not being gay, she says. She was told to give up porn and playing softball and to wear more makeup to feminize her appearance. She felt compelled to confess every lesbian virgin lapse of gender expression to Gillette. But when she was sexually assaulted while in college, no one at Living Hope or at Exodus offered help or counsel. They seemed largely at a loss with what to do about it. It's then she realized that this wasn't a community. She was being used as a prop, molded from a young age when she was emotionally vulnerable. So I'm going to skip down to what ends up happens. Um, What what ended up happening is, again, that was an outward. um, They were dealing with outward things. And this was this is where the error is. They were dealing with outward things. Put on more makeup. What does that do? Nothing. Change to Viking men. What does that do? Nothing. So what ended up happening with this girl, Rogers, she's now married to her wife, Amanda. Their their wedding was in a church that embraces the LGBT community. It was really redemptive to be in this place where that has been a source of so much shame for me and Amanda both, Rogers says, to have all these people come around us and celebrate us and celebrate our love, especially uh, specifically our gay lesbian love that in that space. And for a priest to be like, okay, y'all kiss now right here at the altar. It was so incredibly healing and redemptive. Stalakis and Rogers' urgency in making pray away stemmed away, stemmed in part from a desire to battle the assumption that in 2021, when woke and inclusivity are buzzwords, practices like gay conversion therapy don't exist anymore. Um, Okay, I'm going to kind of stop right there. because I, I feel like that's enough. And you can read that article again. I have the link. And I think you should read the whole article if you're really like um, interested in that. Uh, because I feel like it could, it, you know, it could definitely help uh, with people who are kind of wondering about these different topics. But I want to get into now my experience because those are everyone else's experiences. When I understand, you know, and also the pray away. Again, I think my thought, and I haven't watched it yet, so I probably need to. You guys, people are too consumed with the thoughts, the ideas of other people. We have not heard one thing about God in this. Um, We have not, no one is seeking him. No one is talking about him. 
no one is chasing after him. That's a problem. So my own experience um, dealt with, I went into a season of offense and I just remember kind of like being absorbed into this season of offense. I've never really been a person that's offended and, you know, kind of like dragged on by my feelings and that's in, in, in bad ways like this, but I've already been serving in the church for a long time. And it just seemed like this year it was 2000 maybe from 2018 and 19 or whatever it was so much going on but there was so much going on in my life as far as my marriage um things were happening in my home I just wasn't happy in a sense and my um I was stressed with trying to get my production company off the ground and I was in a theater ministry and I began to understand more my my walk and journey as an individual artist doing the same kind of theater. So I felt like um, maybe I was trying to be in competition. There were so many different things going on, the drama surrounding my um, just kind of growth in that time. I was actively in church. I was actively in ministry. I was actively praying. I was hearing from God. There was so much happening. Um, but church had become a burden at that time. And I just remember these things. This, this isn't to create some some defense, because this is not a defense. This is just a, you know, I just want to paint a picture of what was going on. Um, church had become difficult because the pastor seemed to be preaching from a place where things were happening in her life. And, that, and that's kind of like what we were getting. The words kind of seemed off at that time. And I don't know if it was me or if it was really true. The people at church seemed off. I felt kind of ostracized, yet in a battle to please people at the same time. My perspective was really valid. It was real to me. Um, what I was experiencing was really real. Like the emotions and the the hurt, the pain, the different. I couldn't articulate, you know, to anybody in the church what was going on. I felt like it was time for me to leave the church, but my whole family was going there, and. Um, I was in, caught up in a whirlwind, a tornado of mixed emotions and just thoughts of like, one of my, like it was new. So I was trying to go towards new, but it didn't feel like the good thing. It didn't feel good because I felt like, you know, logically I would have to leave so much and do something different and be different. And I was struggling with that. And I don't necessarily know all the reasons why, but I just remember feeling like, you know, people were against me. That was how my, that's how I was perceiving it. I felt like I was letting people down or people were against me and my church was, you know, there, they were there and good, but they were also the issue. And again, this is all the tumult that's happening inside of me. You know, like it is me. My perspective is my life is what's happening in me. How I'm hearing things, everything, no matter if it's right or if it's wrong, it was going on in me. And I just remember um, one day I, it was like a breakdown that I had and my friends kind of came around me and they were praying. And as I was walking home from that, because I just couldn't really articulate to anybody all of it, because there were some things I was trying to, you know, like cover, 
people, you know, like not not really um, share and be as super transparent. I needed to felt like I needed to hide some things um, because you know this is just a, a season or a period I'm in, and I mean it didn't feel like a season or a period. It felt like that was my life, and it was never going to change at that moment. And I remember walking home, and um, the Lord said. You have inordinate affections. Um, and I was like, what? Because I didn't even, never even heard those words together. Didn't know what inordinate affection meant. I was like, oh, okay. But it was so clear and it was so right. And I was like, okay, I got to look into this. And it was... When, so when I looked into in order and affection, I'm gonna give you the um, I'm gonna give you like the definition um, that um, I'm gonna, sorry, one second, I hate to do this. So in order and affection. It's not a term that's widely used. Definitely not widely used. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I'm gonna... It's a term that God uses to highlight an unbalance. So, quote unquote, over the top affection or love we might have for anything or person that we give first place to before him. So the Lord God requires that first place in our lives. So that first place in our lives, God requires it. And only when we give it to him will we will our lives be in order. And so all of this mess and chaos and the, the different articles, the different perspectives and the different issues, the religious trauma uh, syndrome, church hurt, um, Uh, the um, gay conversion therapy, all of it, if you really think about it and really just consider it, because it's simple, it's really not nothing to kind of argue against, is over-the-top affection and love that we have for, for people, for how they perceive us, our relationship to them, our um, needing to place a blame or to explore things and not in the sense of God what is this or Lord show me this it's people that have created the issues and the problem because there's people going to people people going to people people going to pastors people going to Um, church leaders, people going to their church friends. And now out of all of this comes this chaos and disorder and confusion and hurt and pain. And not one person has ever said, I went to the Lord. And the only reason why I even got the revelation is because I've always had a track record of going to God. I have 
lived in his refuge even before this. So this was like why it was a weird season for me because I've lived in his refuge before that where everything I was processing, even if it was something I didn't understand or even if I felt like, okay, well, that was very offensive as a message, you know, because there's a sin that God wanted to deal with in my life. I've always gone to him. But for some reason in this season, he allowed me to to funnel in, and maybe just for this purpose, maybe to funnel in, needing to please people. Um, There's a scripture that talks about uh, the face of man, needing to be accepted, needing by people, because God isn't in any of that, where it's like, oh, okay, the church doesn't accept me. Who told you that? Who told you that? You know, if you don't want to hear about sin, if you don't want to be transformed into the image of Christ, you don't have to go to church. That means that you don't want to, because that's what you're going to deal with when we come to Jesus. And I want to read Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And this article that I found on Inordinate Infection, written by, it's called, it's on art, arthurbert.com. I'm putting the link there. Dope, because it is completely sums up. So Colossians 3, 1 through 17, let's go to scripture so that we can kind of reconcile all of this and be done. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So that automatically lets us know that um, your beef, it's not church hurt. It doesn't exist because the church is Christ. So if all of us are hidden in Christ, how do we have all of these issues surrounding worldly or earthly living? Um, LBGTQ is an earthly thing. It doesn't exist in heaven. It's something that exists on the earth. Church is not something that exists in heaven. It is something that exists on the earth. Um, Gay conversion therapy is something that exists on the earth. It's not out of heaven. So I like what the message says. (laughs) So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ and God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, and you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, Impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. 
That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. So I don't know how else to sum that up. This is what we're dealing with. Doing whatever you feel like. So when you kill him off everything connected with that death, like that version says, that's the message version of um, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Um, all of that's dead. So I took this passage, you know, all of this is death. All of these things, all of these earthly issues, dead. They're dead. So if you're hidden in Christ, you're alive. That means that you might struggle with your um, sexuality until you're continually being transformed. But it means that you, if you're in Christ or if you're coming to church, that means you agree with what Christ is saying. So if you don't agree with what, he, what he's saying, it means that you don't go to church anymore. You set yourself aside. You want both, and that's not possible. So we can't have both, and even in my situation, I could not have both. I couldn't have the wanting to please the people and wanting to... Um, use the perspective of I'm being hurt I'm, I'm, you guys are hurting me or whatever and maybe they were but I couldn't stop there I had to go to God and say what is this what is going on and God is always going to show you you scripture is going to mirror you it's really not about other people when you're reading it the scripture is about you God deals with you he does not deal with the people around you in the way that you want him to deal with them he might be using what is happening. He is using what is happening, even in people doing, even in people doing the wrong thing. Even if it's us as righteous people doing something that's hurting other people, he's not addressing them. He will address it in his own way, separately, and that might not ever come to your um, knowledge. So I just want to kind of like expound a little bit on um, what this Colossians means and just some good points that this Arthur Burke guy pointed out, which I believe is so good. So he says, our loving Heavenly Father seeks his best for my life and the lives of others. My first relationship is with him. And when that is in order, his love will flow through me and I will be rightly related to others. Rightly related to others. When I surrender to the Lord over a relationship or something I have given first place to, the pain, struggle, and chaos in my life is replaced by his peace and the rest of his presence beauty for ashes. We often try to mend a broken life in our own strength, but only God can heal a broken life. 
Yes, he may use us as a vessel to bring his love and healing to others, but only as he directs and his timing is perfect. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11 People and things become idols in a life that is out of order, which is why we can see, you know, why uh, there's a uh, drag me to church, a drag show at church. Uh, it, that's out of order. It doesn't belong there. Have your drag show in a community center. Why do you want to bring it into church? Which is why I think it's demonic because why do you want to have it there? That's like me and my husband setting up our bed and at the altar and saying, well, we want to have sex in front of everybody at church. Why? Do that at your house. Do that where you, do that where your dirty feet need to be. You know, doesn't mean that you're not safe because you're struggling with your sexuality or whether or not you're a man or woman, but you might struggle there. But that inordinate event doesn't belong in a church. Neither does two women needing, we see that your goal was to need to be able to kiss at the altar. Why? That is demonic. It does not belong there. If you want to still be in a lesbian relationship, but also explore a relationship with the Lord, why do you need to bring it to church? Do it at a, there's plenty of places where you can get married that are not in in a church. Why do you want to do what God is saying is not of him? Where he is or what represents him? Because really the church building, it doesn't really matter in a sense because the people are the church. But that that, that pastor or that person, that pastor who presided over that wedding needs to seriously think about these things. People and things become idols in a life that is out of order. God loves me and delights to bless me, but he desires that first place in my heart and life. He desires that first place. And inordinate affection is not helpful to another person as it is unbalanced and only produces more chaos. It can become, and I, that's what I was experiencing. That's why I was in so much chaos and turmoil because my affection was inordinate. I cared about um, what people were thinking and what they were doing. Everything became about them and I could not get out of that matrix of, it was horrible can become as much an idol as anything else that takes the Lord's first place. When I get the order right, the life of his son, the indwelling Christ, will flow out through me and his peace and joy will be hallmarks of my life and relationship with my father. And I believe that that is so right because that's what happened to me is that I gave it to him. I believed him when he said, you have an order and affections. When I looked it up, it was right that I was putting um, my husband, I was putting my children, I was putting the church family, I was putting the pastor. She's, everybody was allowed to be human and go through what they were going through without me making my issues about them. You can be a pastor and in error and it not be about me. You might have been going through something in your own life and perhaps you filtered in what God was showing you incorrectly and then you want to give it to me. It does not make you my enemy. 
It doesn't make you the one at the helm of why I'm so miserable. The helm of why I was so miserable was because I was putting people and things and affections and emotions before God. But when God said, you have inordinate affections, I believed him. So if you, if God says your affections for wanting to be with a man or be with a woman is inordinate, believe him. It, it, you're putting people in that relationship before him and God will require my marriage if ever I decide to live in that space. I can't put my husband before him. It doesn't matter how much I love him or what I want to happen. I have to battle that a lot because I care about my husband so much. I care about what he thinks. I care about how he treats me. There's so much I care about. There's the baby. Um, And, but I can't put him before my relationship with God, nor my children, nor anybody on this earth. Can't come before it. Same with people who are dealing with wanting to be in same-sex relationships. You cannot put those relationships before God. So if you don't sacrifice them, then you're really not Christ's. And it does. you don't need to go to church because you really don't have a relationship with God. Because the only way that you can have a relationship with the Father is through Christ. And that's the way he made it. Nobody made it that way. But God. So go to him. Go to him. He will help you. He will show you the best way to resolve what it is. Um, the church who thinks that um, changing your outside appearance and doing all of this stuff is right, you're wrong. You need to submit your ideas to God. You need to go to God and pray before you start movements and um, solutions. That was not submitted to God and we see that it's not because there's chaos, pain, suicide following it. God is not an author of death, he's an author of life. Your idea might seem good, but you it might need time to be sanctified. You need time to come into love. So y'all need to check yourselves. All of this outward stuff, you need me to wear this and you need my face to look like this. You need me to be pleasing to you. Again, it's idol worship. You idol worshiping members of your church. How do you mean you can heal me? You can't heal me. No more than I can heal me. No more than Tylenol could heal me. God is the healer. Jesus is the healer. So that's all I really have to say about this. And I love this last part, Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward those that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And that's my suggestion for the church. We have to do this in grace, and that might take time for you to understand. It took time for me to be able to talk on issues because I needed them to be bathed in what God is saying, not in what I think. So that's it. In order and affections, guys, look into that. Make sure that you're not falling into the trap. All right, and let me just pray us out. Father God, I thank you. This was a time of love. This was a time of understanding and getting clarity on your word and your ways. Father, I pray that anybody who 
is struggling with church hurt or the uh, religious trauma syndrome and things like that, the therapist, I just lift all these people up to you because you have a plan of love towards all of us. You want to make things plain for people. You're reconciling all things in Christ Jesus. And that is a beautiful thing. Thank you, Lord, that you are giving us freedom from these traps, from this chaos, from these web of lies, from these things. Lord, I thank you that you are setting things right. And I just love you for it. I thank you for teaching me and showing me about in order and affections. I thank you for raising up teachers that understand it and that can preach it and share it with people and change lives around our world. Thank you so much for your love. Father, inordinate affections ends where we understand rightly Jesus Christ and your love for him and him being your son and him going and taking all these issues to the cross and dying for us so that we can be set free from them instantly. So I thank you right now for the 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 um the repentance. I thank you for all that comes with us growing in you in all of this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I had to uh, do an amendment <laughs> because I, I realized that after I finished recording that I forgot some really, um, a couple of points. One point is, is that um, the, the dealing with the, because people are dealing with the emotional trauma of, you know, just kind of like not understanding or not really being able to rightly divide scripture or reading for yourself. That's the first thing I want to say is that we have to give them the habit, people, I'm not talking about leaders and all this kind of stuff. I'm talking about just people who sit in the pews, people who want to go to church. You have to know that you have to read the Bible. You need to know for yourself scripture, because when you understand scripture and when God reveals scripture to you and gives you revelation, no matter where you're, what state you're living in, um, as far as if you're coming to seek him, he says, uh, those who seek me will find me. You know, you have to seek him with all of your heart. Seeking with all of your heart means that you do need to read scripture. So if you don't read scripture and that you don't um, have a personal relationship with God, you won't ever get to a personal relationship with God. And that's the key, personal relationship, not, you know, religion. people say, oh, no, I'm not in religion. I'm in personal relationship. And that's what that means is that they seek after God. They're not seeking after, you know, whether or not there's church services, whether or not we're in a church in a building or at home, we're seeking God and we're worshiping outside of that. So it doesn't take me to go to church to turn on worship music. You have to be doing the, um, the pursuit. So that's one issue that I'm seeing. And that is kind of like angering because don't rely on, that's like going to work and the, the boss telling you, okay, well, here's the manual. I need you to start getting these things done. Here's the things I need you to do. Here's the manual. If you don't read it and then you don't also get the job right, it, it looks crazy to you to be blaming your boss. Like most of these things that people are blaming God for, they didn't even, they didn't, they didn't even go to him. <laughs> you know, like you're blaming people and then um, relating that to to what God is doing. And that's just not true because that then says that people can't be in error. And sometimes pastors, sometimes preachers, teachers, apostles, um, evangelists, people who pray, they're in error. I've been in it. So I know that this is to be true. 
Uh, the second thing is, is that um, when you're fighting these kinds of causes and stuff like this and trying to make points, just remember that um, nobody's smarter than the Holy Spirit. So that's the reason why we don't have to be afraid to basically address these things because the Holy Spirit is all wise, all knowing, and no one's smarter than him. <laughs> so if you use the Holy, if you are um, relying upon the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit also is uh, very gentle, very patient, very kind, um, very, um, he's all knowing. He's God, he's, he's a part of the Godhead. So when you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to um, have conviction and you might not see sin, certain sins as sin, as God sees them, as he's saying that they are. But what will happen if you have the Holy Spirit is that you will agree with him. So um, we won't be indifferent to what the Holy Spirit is showing them. We will hum um, humble ourselves. And even if we're not walking in that particular area of sin, uh, right, um, that, that he's pointing out to be sin, one time, the Holy Spirit pointed out to me that me relying upon um, having a Coca-Cola and some sunflower seeds to deal with some issues that I was dealing with was sin in that in that time, in that season, because I wasn't going to God. I was saying, no, let me go get me some sunflower seeds and a Coke. I'm going to deal with this. That's the same thing as someone going to get cocaine or same thing as someone needing to, you know, rely upon a drug or an addiction to, to figure out, you know, or to deal with a certain issue and not bringing it to God. So a lot of times we're seeing that too. But my next episode is going to be about our misunderstandings about doctrination and indoctrination um, and why I want to address that. But I, I got to study and do some, you know, praying first. So it might not come out the next one, but that's what I really want my next episode to be. So I'll see you there. Bye.